On today's Off the Circle, we're going to be talking about diversity and inclusion in the workplace with Julie Kratz. Julie is the founder and CEO at Next Pivot Point. She's also an author and a speaker. Listen to indie-based entrepreneurs and business people. Learn from their experience and expertise and have some laughs along the way. Off the Circle, the Indianapolis business scene as you've never heard it before. Uh, Julie was on our show uh, probably a few years ago now, and we just absolutely hit it off. And I I love her, uh, what she brings to the table for business leaders and everything. But um, Julie, primarily uh, explain, you know, how you're helping companies and how you're you're helping society and, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am a big proponent of uh, gender equality in the workplace, but overall diversity and inclusion. And I talk a lot about how to be an ally. So yes, Doug, you were so kind to be on my podcast uh, where I talk about allies and how to lead like an ally. And we need men as allies for women. We also need white allies, straight allies, all types of allies for all types of causes. Um, Because at the end of the day, those that experience diversity, whether that's by race, by um, ethnicity, by your LGBTQ identification, your gender, whatever it is, uh, you're not as likely to be seen, heard, and feel a sense of belonging in the the workplace. And you're certainly not likely to be represented, uh, especially as you go up in an organization. So that's what I help organizations with is, hey, if who I'm doing business with or who I want to do business with, we're not exactly mirroring at all levels of our organization. How can we get better, right? Because what we know is the upside of this, uh, there's real business case numbers around this. There's also a real human case. (laughs) But the business case says, you know, 87% better decisions, 19% higher revenues, uh, 20 to 40% higher profitability numbers when you reflect who you want to do business with. So it's really important that this isn't a nice to have anymore. It truly is a must have in business. And it, and it goes to, you know, I'm a marketer. And one of the things that I always tell people from a marketing standpoint is uh, we tend to market to our bias. And what I mean by that is, if we're fantastic at, let's say, um, you know, pay-per-click marketing, lo and behold, pay-per-click marketing winds up being our best channel, our, the one that we enjoy the most, the one that's natural, everything else. But if you're on the other side where you're an organic search marketer, lo and behold, that's helping your company the most. And it seems that that's the comfort or bias that we tend to fall in as, you know, uh, I say I'm a white older male, right? And so my, my natural tendency is going to be that I align better with other white, older males. And that's a, that's a natural tendency. But in business, the problem there is, you know, if everybody's, if everybody's pointing the ship towards the iceberg, (laughs) and agrees that that's the way to go, uh, you hit the iceberg, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you miss out on opportunities. And certainly that's not the only type of demographic you want to do business with. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. It's funny. And I'm I'm so glad you said that, Doug. I I wish more white men would embrace that. It's like, hey, I'm a white older male. (laughs) And, And guess what? 
uh, you're not the problem. I, I think we've done a crappy job of making white men feel like they're responsible for the way society is. That it, we're all contributing to it. We're all living in a system that supports certain types of people and does not support others. I think it's pretty obvious when you look at who controls power, wealth, all key factors from a societal standpoint. But that doesn't mean the person holding the power is the enemy. Actually, would argue they're much more of a part of the solution. And so how do we engage folks like yourself? How do we have compelling messages? And and really what I'm finding in today's environment is I have conversations very regularly, nice virtual coffee chats with folks nowadays that I wouldn't have gotten to talk to before, especially white male podcast hosts like yourself that never had someone I talk about diversity on the podcast. And that's fascinating to me because honestly, what they'll tell me is I'm just looking for something to do, Julie. Like I want to do something to be helpful. And this is a bit of a trap question because, yes, you can do something, but you also probably the biggest thing you can do is look inside yourself and just think about what learning am I willing to do, right? And so the things I usually offer for people is just pick up a book. You know, if if you're curious about race, the book White Fragility is a great one. If you're curious about allyship, I've got content on that. If you're curious about gender, there's excellent books on um, women's leadership, for example. So find something that's compelling to you. Find a cause, somebody that's different than you, a cause that's different than you, and read about it. Listen to podcasts about it. Uh, Engage in the message. And then you'll start to see how much easier it is to say and do things, right? But the first step might just be education and awareness. And that's okay. Well, it's, it's, we're built by our experiences in life, right? And so um, I, I, there's, there's this, you know, photo, I know it's, it's probably decades old or whatever, but it's people standing on each side of a, a number six or a number nine, you know, and one guy says it's a six and the other one says it's a nine. And I think it's a, such a powerful photo because it's, it's, you know, we we're told in society that one side has to be right and one side has to be wrong. But most of the time, it's just the perspectives and the experiences that mm-hmm. kind of develop, develop. I, I am absolutely sure that I am always right. <laughs> you know, you are very confident. And, and it's, you know, what's interesting about that is white men are usually very confident what they have to say. And so we take it for the truth, yeah. <laughs> questioning yeah. it. Where actually I find it to be challenges tend to be widely accepted by white men too. So just challenge back if, if you don't agree, but you're right. Perspective taking is what that's called. And taking on the perspective of somebody else is really helpful in, in the work that we all have to do to support diversity and inclusion. Right. Just what if, what if someone was coming about this differently? What if they had a different set of life experiences that led them to a different conclusion in this situation? What if the roles were reversed, either gender or race right. or whatever is at play? How would this go down? And if you, if you think that way and just pause and intervene with your own biases that you're bringing to the table, because we all are, we all have our own set of life experiences, like you said, then you look at it from someone else's perspective and you're like, oh, that must be how they got there. Maybe they're not being a cruddy human thinking right. totally different to me. Maybe they just have a different perspective. And by the way, if I listen to that different perspective, I am likely to learn something. I am likely to get better. I am likely to come up with, we're likely together to come up with an idea that we wouldn't have come up with before. Right. Right. I, I love that. I, um, 
an eye opener for me in my life. And this is not a, you know, I'm not trying to, this is not being braggadocious or not, but I had a young friend of mine, uh, African-American uh, that uh, unfortunately had gotten into trouble and went to jail, um, came out of jail. And I didn't know any of that. Uh, he just disappeared you know, for, for a while. And then uh, one day I saw him walking down the street in Indianapolis and I, and I was like, Oh my God. And I, I conked at him and I said, Hey, you know, come over to the office and talk to me. You know, I haven't seen you in, you know, a year or whatever. And so he came over and talked to me and winds up that uh, he had gotten in trouble, uh, didn't have money for a cab ride, uh, was drinking uh, and got in a fight with the cab driver who, you know, was, you know, basically, you know, trying to assault him because he couldn't pay, you know, and, and so he wound up going to, to jail for assault. He had a knife on him, uh, didn't pull the knife, but because he had a weapon that was, you know, aggravated and everything else. And so because it was alcohol related, he had to do drug tests and, and random drug tests. And for people that don't know that I'll try to make this a quick story, but for people that don't know is if that happens to you, one is you, you know, he came out with a felony so he had a hard time getting a job. He couldn't rent a place. Uh, and then he would get phone calls. It, he had to text uh, every night um, and see whether he had to do a random drug test the next day. If he had to do a random drug test the next day, he had to pay for that drug test. Um, and he had to take time off of work. So he would get fired because he kept having to go do drug tests every once in a while. He wouldn't have money to pay for the drug tests. And so he went in and out of jail nine times during that. Now here's the kicker. <laughs> he didn't do drugs. <laughs> of course not. But somehow that has something to do with what happened. Well, because it's, it's a great, it's a well, great scenario. Well, and I want to, so I went with him to court, you know, and yeah. I, and I, and, and it opened my eyes because the public defender didn't know that he didn't do drugs. The, the prosecutor didn't know that he didn't, didn't do drugs. The judge didn't know that he didn't do drugs. And so I kept, I kept telling, and he's a, a quiet guy, not uh, unassuming everything else. And I kept telling him, you got to tell the judge, you got to tell the judge. And finally he told the judge, the judge looked at the prosecutor and said, you know, how many, how many drug tests has he failed? And the prosecutor goes, well, uh, I forget what they call it, non nonconformance or whatever, you know, like he was like nonconformance like nine times or whatever. And the, and the, and the judge said, no, that's not what I asked. He said, how many drug tests has he failed? And the prosecutor flips through and says, uh, zero. And he goes, how many drugs tests have he, has he taken? And it was like 34. And so the judge said, why is this guy on drug testing? You know, and he got knocked off. But my point with that is that this was the trap in the revolving door. He couldn't get a car because uh, he didn't, he couldn't, you know, pay for a license. He couldn't get to work. He couldn't, you know, and, and so for those of us that have relatives that have money or friends that could lend us money or a support system uh, or uh, we have skills, you know, yeah. that we could, we could go uh, you know, I could call 20 of my friends and come up with something that I could do for a couple hundred dollars, you know? Well, it's just, it's such a nothing. great, it's a great scenario. I mean, it's obviously a very sad story and one that I'm sure a lot of African-Americans and especially African-American men can relate to. Yeah. Flip that story, you know, put me in that cab as a white woman. Right. What would have happened? Even if I had a knife, right? <laughs> Even if, let's just throw that on the table, right? right. And I was drunk and arguing. Nothing. 
Nothing. Well, you would you would and even if you had gotten arrested, you would have been home for dinner, right? Right. Because you know, then I would have friends that would have bailed me out. Yeah. Like this, this would be a non-issue. Drug testing. Yeah. Right. right. You know. <laughs> And it's just when you flip the scenarios, one of my favorite things to do is to flip it, to test it. And it works with any strange scenario. Just flip it, whether it's gender, race, you know, anything. And you start to realize how much the system is rigged, right? Yeah. Because what this man learned is the deck, the deck stacked against me. It doesn't matter what I do. Right. Yes, I made a mistake. A mistake that I think a lot of white people have made. Of being yeah. drunk in a cab with yeah. not money to pay. Like, that's not a huge mistake. That's right. actually something that happens quite a bit to people. And so that one mistake is going to cost me my livelihood. It's going to probably cost me um, my ability, to, my mobility. I mean, oh, mobility is absolutely. such a huge sign of privilege that I, as a white person, can go into all sorts of different spaces. I can go into spaces where I'm the only white person. And yeah, I'm going to feel a little jarred, but am I truly unsafe? Right. Right. You ask somebody on the other side of that, they're going to they're gonna tell you all the things they have to go through was and it, what uh, might happen to them. Louis C.K. said the greatest thing about being white is that you can go anywhere in history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can get in a time machine and come out anywhere. I have a free pass. <laughs> and you compare notes with somebody else and like that's just yeah. not the world they're experiencing. Right. And that's the part of perspective taking that I've really learned. And and for listeners that are curious about that topic, thought leaders, it's it's a Teresa Wiseman, Dr. Teresa Wiseman came up with the term and Brene Brown has oh, a podcast amazing. phenomenal and all of her books are phenomenal. She digs much more deeply into this topic, but I think, you know, being able to empathize with somebody that's different than you. And that this is the point I think that we're really at racially because white people don't know how, like you, Doug, you were just curious. You showed up, right? That's a great right. thing that allies can do. I'm curious. Am I here to save the day? Right. <laughs> not here, here to save it, just to <laughs> witness it. Yeah. I'm here to learn. And yep. then to learn i can ask questions and challenge things because the great thing about especially whether you're white or male or whatever privilege you have this is an opportunity to help yeah people are going to listen to you more because what what skin in the game does he have you know yeah. why does he care about this and so when you speak out your voice is just more likely to be heard right you know when i speak out especially about gender stuff oh there she's using the woman card it's not right. hard, by the way it's part of my identity but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, something, something you were born with. Yeah. yeah, it's not a black card. Like there's yeah. no card game being played here. No one's winning. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But people don't value what I say because they see that I'm affected by it. And, and and then you can get into the victim mode. You know, there's all sorts of things that go into it, even though that's not my message. But when you talk about it, people listen. And so this is this is really, I believe, where we are at as a society, a pivotal time to engage white men, especially in the conversation. So thank you. Thank you for that story. I think it illuminates what, what, what people like you can do. Well, and, and uh, truth be told, I think I said this on your podcast, I was scared crapless being on oh, your podcast, it. right? Because, <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, and it was because of all of those experiences and mm -hmm. presuppositions and everything else. And then when you broke out the word ally, I, I, everything relaxed. And it was, yeah. and it was because, um, you know, for people that don't, don't uh, well, I think people know that listen to me, but Jen, Jen Lisak was, or Jen Golding now, you yep. know, was my, my business partner with DK. And I purposely sought out a woman. Um, it wasn't because I wanted to, you know, 
publicly have this, you know, <laughs> you know, this persona or anything, but it was that I knew that I had weaknesses just as a, as a man, um, that, that put me behind from a, from a, how am I going to, how am I going to work in the marketing industry where probably 80% of, of the staff are women, right? Go walk into a PR agency and, mm -hmm. and what do you, you know, you're going to wind up seeing a typically a woman run women led organization. How am I going to relate and, and do business with these people if I don't have that perspective, you know, internal. And so Jen, Jen and I love each other still today. I was just talking to her this week and, uh, and, and part of it was our, our disagreement and, and, and a lot of it was just me, you know, her, you know, getting frustrated with me and me getting frustrated with her. And all it was, was literally all of these life experiences, you know, that led us to that mm -hmm. point. And so I've always thought that um, it made the company, well, I don't, I, I can't say I think it made the company absolutely stronger. If I had, yeah. a, if I had a, a, a male, uh, I, sh I shouldn't even say that. If I had a leader or a customer that came in that was very headstrong, because it could have been a male or a female, and, and dominant and, and everything else, I could handle them really well. If I had, if I had a leader that came in that was um, very passive and kind and everything else, I would run them over. Yeah. And so Jen and I kind of balanced each other where when she got someone headstrong and, and tough, I got on the phone and, you know, and worked with them when she had someone that, you know, I was going to hurt their feelings, <laughs> you know, and I, and I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, I'm not trying to make this a, this is man or rough and women or, you know, well, it was personality style, but it, but it, but it was, yeah. we balanced each other so well, uh, just because she approached a, a, a topic most of the time that she approached a topic with a client was she was empathetic to their problem and, and really wanted to understand why and what was happening internal. Me, I wanted to win. Yeah. I, I, and it was competition, capitalism, you know, uh, race to the finish line, you know, and so our approaches were dynamically different. And so the combination of us was a home run. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's often called like the yin yang effect is what I call it. And whether that's gender or again, any diversity dimension, uh, you're, you're much more likely to approach things differently to again, learn from each other, to have different types of ideas. So there's a reason why these business results numbers are higher. Yeah. Um, an interesting example of this dog is um, one of my friends shared that she went dog sledding. Uh, this is like a year or so ago. But how, they, how they've always operated dog sledding, uh, and they still do to this day, is that they have a male and female dog leading together. Wow. And so they're gender balanced, the dog sledding teams. And I just thought, wow, so this is really a primal thing. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, we naturally, as animals, <laughs> you know, are balanced out having both of those roles. So isn't it strange that we have a society that's largely run by one? Yeah, and it why is. you know the benefits that we could have if we had both leading together if it works for dogs. You know, yeah, not that, not that humans are as simple as dogs, but I think it raises a really good like biological perspective 
a balance and we are different. Like it's okay to say we are different, right? Exactly. Women do have scored higher on empathy and emotional intelligence. Now some yeah. of that, a lot of that is socialized, but some right. of it is, right. is being- But even socialized is a reality, right? Right, yeah. right. And it's, it's the strengths that we show up with. So if you're missing that on your team, what a great opportunity to tap into a different type of talent. And I think, Doug, for your listeners, you know, if you want to diversify your workforce, especially now with unemployment numbers high, you think intentionally about your next hires and how they could round out your team. If you have had layoffs or furloughs, think about who's been more impacted by that. Because we know right. that women were 60% of those that were unemployed and they were less than 50% of the workforce. That math does not add up, right? right? A lot of that is because we assume men are providers and women are caregivers. So women are more expendable. It's yeah. so a human bias. I have that bias too. I got to check myself on that because it's certainly not the landscape of the working world in 2020, but we still think like that. People of color, uh, much yeah. more unemployed um, than those that were white and affected by this. So really, as you reset and hopefully as the economy comes back, be very intentional with your hires because you can get, you can recalibrate, use this as an opportunity to recalibrate your team and build in more diversity in, and it happens intentionally. It does not happen just by sheer chance. You know, I rarely hear of organizations like, yeah, we're just so diverse just because we, it happened. <laughs> it right. doesn't work that way. You got to think it through. And that doesn't mean making exceptions or, you know, somehow there's, exactly. this, there's yeah. this weird bias out there. Like I have to lower the standard for diverse talent. Like, right. What are right. we saying there? Yeah, exactly. What are you implying? How do you know that? Right, right. It's just, again, it's it's these people that are different from you are not going to be in your circles. Exactly. And they're not going to have, so, they're not going to go to the same college that you went yeah, to. They're not yeah. going to have the same exact skill set and credentials. Like, isn't that good? They have something different. Right, right. <laughs> Why would yeah. you want someone just like you? But back to what you said, Doug, earlier, we are attracted to people just like us. And it's called affinity bias. It's a form of unconscious bias. And all humans have this, at least some of the time, where we, we, we spend time in social circles with people like us. So one great tangible thing you can do as an ally is just take an inventory of who you spend time with. Mm-hmm. Think about it, top five people I choose to spend time with, not maybe not your immediate family, you know, but the people you actually decide I want to spend time with. And especially now, isn't it real telling right now? Oh you're spending my time goodness, yes. <laughs> really yeah, the foes and friends. That's why I'm and... being so quiet, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really magnified right now. So just do the top five in your head and think about it. Are they like me? You know, if you're like me three years ago and I'm in my mid thirties, I had arrived at a place in my life where shame on me was white women that were business owners that were mothers. Hmm, right. Just like me, you know? Right. And what, and, and part of that was, I felt shame in admitting that. And then I went to one of my friends, a woman of color and just asked her like, what can I do? Like, yikes, this is uncomfortable. And she helped me. <laughs> yeah. She's like, here's who you need to talk to. This is the book she need to read. Have you gone to this networking event? Have you thought about this, this, and this? Like, oh, well, like those are easy things they can do. And I'm proud to say, I mean, I haven't arrived. You don't get to arrive as an ally. I'm, I'm learning on the journey, learning too, but you can absolutely change that. Like that networks are in flux all the time. You can build in diversity. And I have to tell you, it's, I'm so thankful now that I have people I can talk to about hard things that I wouldn't be able to talk to those white women about before, um, that I have a more diverse network so that I can learn more. Yeah. Well, I I think the key there is intention, you know, that as long as you utilize that intention, 
you can really, really go after this from a different, you know, seek a different perspective. And it's going to take, it just takes work, right? I mean, our comfort zone is not there. So our no. comfort zone is the, the opposite. And so I love that. I, you don't learn when you're comfortable. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I, like the learning journey. I mean, think about the last time you learned something hard. Were you yeah. really frustrated? <laughs> right. I get really frustrated. And then you think on the other side of it, I just remind myself, I've done hard things before and it worked out. Right. right? Especially now we're, we're doing, all of us are doing a lot of hard things right now. Uh, this, this will be a bellwether for me in the future to be like, hey, if you got through 2020 as a small business owner, <laughs> imagine the things you can do, but it requires you to pivot. I mean, we really, we cannot, the status quo, doing the same thing, expecting different results, we all know is the definition of insanity. It requires a pivot. If you want something different, you've got to be willing to do something different. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, you know, currently we talked, you know, before the podcast where we were just talking about, you know, kind of economically with the collapse, you know, around the lockdown and pandemic, um, you know, the 40 million people out of work, um, there's, uh, again, I'm not going to say it, this is the reality, but there's, I do think that there's a tendency that if you're a business leader and you're kind of gruff and, and maybe you're a, a white male capitalist, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, to paint a picture here. I'm just saying that if, if you don't really care about your employees, you just care about getting the work done. Um, these economic hard times are amazing for you because you know that there's a line of people a hundred long that want the job there. And so you can lowball people, you can pick whoever you want, you can do whatever you want. And, and to your point, that's very short-term thinking for one thing, long-term, it's going to hurt your company. Uh, we know that, like you said, statistically. Um, but, you know, for leaders that, that look at a situation like this and they go, okay, well, yeah, maybe I can get the cream of the crop right now there's also an opportunity, right? To get the best person that doesn't match, you know, and, and to, to put the puzzle together where you can get the diverse pieces of your, of your company better than you could have before, because those people were, you know, uh, companies with the big money and companies with the power and companies that had adopted diversity were going and snapping up all the talent. Right. Yeah. And now there's really an opportunity for you to go out there and, and put, you know, assemble just the best company that you can do. So I, what, I so what too. can leaders do? You know, let's say step one is they're worried about the economic crisis. They're worried about uh, and, and maybe diversity falls down on the list. Right. You know, cause they're worried about paying their bills first. Yep. Um, you know, well, is it, is it a t intention again? You know, what, what can, what can they do to kind of bring that to the surface and say, you know what, this is as important uh, as I'm looking at my economic vi viability. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And um, I, I did a future of work co-commission, a future of work study. And we got about 260 responses, all sorts of industries, different levels inside an organization. And the question is, what do people want? Right. What do we people want as we re hit the reset button and things are going to look different in the future? We, we know the big ones, virtual flexibility. But what came up really big, Doug, that has to relate with diversity and inclusion is people want to be bring their full human self to work now more than ever. And so if you think this is, again, a nice to have, yeah, maybe in the short term, I, I'd kind of agree with you. Keeping the lights on, keeping cash flow coming in is, is probably going to be paramount for now. <laughs> 
<laughs> you got to have a right. business to have people in it. But longer term, and I'm not talking years from now, I'm talking months from now, our actions are going to be remembered. People are yes. going to look back and say, who were the companies that stepped up and kept the employees and didn't do opportunistic layoffs just to pad the cash flow? Uh, I talked with a company yesterday uh, that is a publicly traded company on the stock market that does sports gambling. Okay. <laughs> so you might be able to guess who it is. They said, <laughs> you know, we absolutely had the case to lay everybody off. But then we thought, if we lay everybody off, these are the people that know our customers the best. How right. are we going to find those people again? And instead, we turn them into innovators and have them say, what are the things that we could be doing besides sports betting? How could we leverage our technology to do this, this, and this? She said, it's been amazing, the new ideas they came up with. So next time there's a recession, because there's going to be, or there's going to be some other COVID type of event, We'll be able to pivot so much more easily because we'll know we have these ancillary services so we're not so um, connected just to one thing. So what a great opportunity, I think, for companies to learn from. And that's if you're in the privileged position to be able to continue to pay people. Um, if you're not, you might have to make some tough decisions. I don't want to discount that. But what I will say, going back to that study that I led, is Number one on the list, the things that people wanted we found was a positive workplace culture. And Doug, that was actually above pay and healthcare benefits. So 85% of people said that was the most important thing, that they wanted a positive workplace culture. And then diversity and inclusion, while it wasn't first in their wish list of things to come back to work, it was fourth of 10 things that we gave them choices on. And wellness programs, you know, other things were at the bottom of the list that you might have thought were still relevant. So I, I want to say, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> the hesitance, and, and so many of my clients hitting the pause button, time out for now. I, I would caution you from hitting that pause button too long and too hard, right? This isn't, this is a journey. It's, it's one you got to keep the accelerator on. You can't just hit the brake and start stop, you know, <laughs> check one and done. You got to keep it going. So keep the focus on it. And that doesn't mean massive things right now. Maybe it means small things and just having open conversations right now about it. Longer term, we're going to make sure that we re reignite our commitment to it. I love that. I, I think a lot of business leaders, uh, if you're operating out of a spreadsheet, you miss these aspects, right? You miss the institutional knowledge that you've invested in the people in your company. And so good on, good on that company for just mm -hmm. recognizing that, oh my God, we finally assembled the team. We finally developed the team. We finally got the team, you know, working all productive and now we're going to lay them off. <laughs> you know, so, so I, I, and you may I, think they'll, they'll just come back. Right. But you yeah. don't know that. I mean, no. they're really the best talent. Your competitors are thinking, heck yeah, this is yeah. a golden opportunity. So yeah, the spreadsheet approach does not work to business. And as somebody that's managed my business by a spreadsheet, yeah. I can attest to that. <laughs> well, and, and, and the, the other piece of that too was while, while, you know, diversity might've been number four, it absolutely was a contributing factor to number one. Right? Yeah. If, yeah. If, if you feel um, safe, appreciated, um, empowered at your work, uh, diversity is obviously something that's well respected within the organization. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the way people will talk about it in the future, the language that I'm hearing is inclusive leadership. We yeah. want to be an inclusive workplace where people can bring their full selves to work. I mean, think about how much we've learned about people from Zoom calls. Yeah. I mean, you really get, you get to see their pets, their work yeah. in their home, I mean, yeah. their family. I've heard so many people say I've gotten to know people better during this time. And that really begs the question, why? Why were we yes. waiting so long to get to know each other? 
But on the other side of this, our humanity is what really connects us. And so thinking about how to leverage this and not just go right back into the, the grind again, how to be really intentional with creating these experiences where we continue to get to know each other as real human beings in the workplace. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic lesson. Julie, I love talking to you just because you, you don't make me feel bad. <laughs> You know, the white guys have said it to me a lot. This is, I will say this has been a silver lining of all of this has been I've gotten to talk to people I don't always talk to because it's so easy for me to be on female podcasts, you know, other diversity podcasts. Sure. But this one, I, these strike my curiosity because your listeners probably don't hear about this stuff very often. And to your point, I think you get a lot of shame of like, you're that problem. Right. You, know, like, you didn't say that right. And right. I just can't take that approach. Um, yeah. And I don't think, I don't think most people want to, they're just dealing with the pain. Yeah. You know, the women that you may have experienced over the years that are polarizing, like they probably have their own personal pain that they're dealing exactly. with. Exactly. Yeah. We they all know bring... when people like you and you remember, they remind it and is it triggered? So men out there, if you've gotten that message, it's not intentional. It's probably because someone's dealing with their own thing yeah. that they're projecting on you. So it's, it's usually not about you. Well, and, and it's, and it's projection, but it's also, you know, we tend to clump these stories, right? Yeah. You just said before that when you start to know someone personally, you know, it starts to open up. And, and so when we, when we read an article that is, you know, um, you know, it's focused on gender, it's focused, there's always stats in there, right? And the stats yeah. always, the stats always point to this is the problem, you know? And, and so, and then you sit there and go, wait a second, I'm, I, I'm not the problem. I'm, like, I I'm promise. not a bad guy. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, then it's like, I don't want to talk about that because I'm going to say or do the wrong thing and then they're going to think I'm the problem. So it's a self-fulfilling thing. Yeah. We've really got to rewrite that narrative. Like yeah. now is the time um, we need all allies, especially the ones with the loudest voices, the ones that are going to be heard the most. And that is white men. So yeah. I commend you for, you know, doing the uncomfortable stuff and talking about this stuff. And, and, it's a challenge. If you don't have to be perfect with this, you don't have to be perfect. Just listen. Yeah. That's really all you have to do. Step one, just listen, be curious, be willing to learn. Um, we don't need perfect allies. We don't. Right. And if you said you were perfect, you're not. Like yeah. just let people be who they are and show up authentically. That's fantastic. Now let's let's flip the coin. We've talked about leadership, you know, quite a bit here. Um, let's talk about the reverse. Let's, let's, so if you're, um, you know, someone that feels marginalized, uh, someone that feels like you're not being heard and now you're unemployed, you're, you know, and, and a significant portion of that 40 million people that just lost their jobs are this, right? Um, you know, how do you, how do you approach, uh, you know, when you're going after a job, uh, because I'll, I'll tell you, uh, you know, just personal experience. If, if I want to hear your differences, I want to hear that you're, you're differentiating yourself from all the other candidates, you know? And so things like where you went to school and how you grew up and, and uh, race, gender, you know, those are all important, you know? And, and I think we tend to gloss over, we're like, I'm not going to talk about any of that stuff, you know, yeah, because bring I, because, your differences to the table. Yeah. Like you said, they're differentiators. What, what can I bring to the team? And I, I think it's, it's, it's okay to candidly talk about that. Like as yeah. a woman, I have this perspective or I noticed that a lot of 
our customers are A, B, and C. You know, I, I've, I can represent those things. So really calling attention to your unique differentiators now more than ever. And, and I think, too, the other thing that marginalized groups tend to do is un not underscore their transferable skills. Well, I've never done this exact thing before. Right. Women historically do this all the time. You know, men, you hit 90% of the, or 60% of the, the criteria on a job description I'm applying. You know, women, more, they're like 90, 95% they want to hit because they think they're actually requirements because that's what it says. <laughs> right. Oh my God, you yourself. just nailed it. I told my daughter that same exact thing. She was like, well, but I have a PR degree. I'm like, they don't care. No, <laughs> you know? no. So don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. And, and being able to tell that story of, yeah, I have a PR degree. And that brings these skills to the table rather than excusing, oh, I just have this PR degree. Right. Uh, it's how you frame it. It's how you talk about it. And think about the, the experiences you've had that are like that. And for women right now, there's a real caregiving crisis uh, in our country um, with e-learning and now going to the summer months when not having access to day camps and things that women traditionally relied on. And women are 70% of primary caregivers. It's a big deal. But all of the things you do to run a household, <laughs> holy smokes, there's a reason that women can do multitask really well and project manage. And so being able to tell that story of running your household finances and how you can run a budget, you know, there, there are things that are transferable between work and home. And I think we're starting to see that line get so blurred and men participating more in the caregiving. So this is a really good time to challenge those assumptions of it had to be done in a corporate environment for it to count. Did it? Why? You still right. have that skill. Right. Well, and, and there are, you know, compounding that is, is the fact that consumers and businesses alike are now looking at other partners and companies that they wish to do business with. Uh, Mark Schaefer is a, is a good friend of mine and he writes about this quite a bit, you know, that, that companies are, are now being very public about their approach to diversity, very public about um, even political, you know, activity and everything else. The reason why is because they want to, you know, relate. They, they don't want to just be a brand. They don't want to just be a logo because a logo can be replaced by the next logo. Um, but, but if they can show that they're human, if they can show that they're, they care, that they relate, then the opportunity from a, from a consumer standpoint is now all of a sudden people build a personal relationship with your brand. And, yeah. and, and so there's, there's great opportunities there from a business perspective as well. So mm -hmm. I, this is, when well, people is remember a, how you feel, right? Yeah. You remember how you feel with an experience of the brand. That's why brands are so impactful. It's, it's not the tangible bullet points. And, yeah. You know, Actors and data. It's the feeling you get from the experience of, of that brand. It's the brilliance of Coca-Cola, right? Every event, every <laughs> event, every event that you go to has a Coca-Cola sign. Why? Not mm -hmm. just because you're going to go buy a Coke. It's so that you remember how happy you were at the event yep. and you align that with, with that brand. Yeah. And when you have a diverse team, like that, the feelings you create, right, you're more likely to invoke those feelings across different types of people, especially the ones you want to attract into your business or community. Mm, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. Well, this is uh, always enlightening. And I, I do want to encourage people, I know you didn't come on here for it, but um, you've written two books now. 
Three, actually. Three. So okay. we met back in the day when I wrote one about how male allies uh, can help women with gender, a partner with women with gender equality. And the latest work is Lead Like an Ally. And it's a, a tale of corporate America and how to facilitate inclusion. So for those that want to lead like allies, I encourage you both are simple, short reads, um, but also told in the form of story. Um, so you can learn from other people's stories, much like we did in our conversation today and each have toolkits so that you can embark on your own journey and uh, take some steps for positive change. That's fantastic. And we will put that, uh, those links in the show notes as well. And then, um, and for people that want to, you know, contact you, if they are seeking assistance, maybe with transforming their business, um, where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, nextpivotpoint.com. I've got tons of resources. I have my podcast, video series, blogs, you name it. You can get all the free resources there. Um, and follow me on social media. My handle's nextpivotpoint as well. And I post daily on LinkedIn at Julie Kratz, K-R-A-T-Z. Uh, well, it's it's always a pleasure, and I I um, appreciate call, calling you a friend after all these years. Even though I yeah. might even though you might be embarrassed to follow me on the social. I media. don't feel that way at all. No, we need your voice. We need your voice. It's good stuff. If you're an Indianapolis-based professional and would like your story to be heard on Off the Circle, contact us at offthecircle.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a glowing review. 